0: meredith monday and back with chris stay with us chris how the heck are you it's been a while it's been too long <laughs> very yeah way too long but uh, it's good to be back with you oh man um i am looking forward to doing this uh, final chapter of the book and I'm sure anyone who's been tracking with us will feel the same way. Um, It's a, it's a roundup. It's a glorious roundup to everything. I mean, you just, you, you wax eloquent in this book, in this chapter, at least at the end, you just really, did you feel something while you were writing that last chapter? Did it overcome you? Were you in the moment?
1: That was writer's (laughs) flow, right? Yeah. I really tried to drive it home um, that it's all about Christ having accomplished our salvation for us. Yeah. So hopefully that came through loud and clear. Totally. Definitely. Without a doubt. Um, all right. So
0: uh, just flicking over to the PDF. I mean, if anyone is uh, jumping in on us, I mean, this is actually a, a cool place to like start the book in some sense. You know, you could start here and go back to the beginning again, uh, because it is a good summary of everything in some sense as well. Um, but we're on page 160, chapter seven. And the book that we're talking about is uh, The Tale of Two Adams and uh, uh, Chris, of course, is the author of that. Uh, you can get it online. You can get it uh, at Amazon. And so go and get yourself a copy. And uh, feel free to just go back and get those old um, episodes that we've done uh, up and running as you read through the book. It's encouraging to see some people are doing that. And um, and so hopefully this has been helpful to you. Um, basically, we kick off with, with a kind of um, understanding of recapitulation, right? Um, Jesus has come to... Really, uh, do the big do-over uh, of of the failed Adam and the failed Israel, right? Um, exactly.
1: Yeah. Walk us through what you uh, how you open the book there, Chris. Well, I, I opened the chapter by uh, talking about where the the Old Testament left us, um, and that uh, I call him John the Baptizer comes on the scene of history as yeah. the very last prophet from the Old Testament, um, and that Jesus. Doesn't uh, Jesus is not recognized by the Jewish people because he doesn't look like what they imagined the Messiah would be. Right. Um, you know they wanted uh, Rambo. You know totally. they wanted um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. but instead they got this weak guy who um, you know Isaiah tells us was nothing to look at. Right. And. Um, so it's—I mean, I—I I really tried to drive home the point that um, it's by his suffering that he accomplished what Adam failed to do. Mm. Mm. I love what you said here. In, in
0: terms mm-hmm. of uh, uh, where I'm at, uh, page 161, kind of halfway. Uh, instead of being hailed as king, uh, he had to be whisked away to Egypt for safety. Uh, a life story that began like like this might tempt us to look elsewhere for the one. Who would accomplish God's purposes? Um, so, yeah, what I liked about that is not only does that sort of hit the the Jewish thing in that, yeah, like they were expecting Jewish Rambo with his uh, you know Hebrew tattoos and whatnot, um, <laughs> but uh, you know this is kind of everyone in some sense. I mean, we you know no one intuitively looks to the story of Jesus, uh, Jesus as this kind of um, you know the, this Euro uh, figure if he's just being attacked and you know wh- you know basically born into a, a really poverty stricken environment and you know just in a very in this weird corner of the world and and uh you know no one really cares about this this thing that's happening there uh, but you know all of it was just it's this paradox that starts to emerge um i suppose even just the being born in the in the um feeding trough you know while angels are declaring your your birth it's pretty uh, that, that moment right there probably marks it out for me and that you've got this, this paradox happening the whole way through. You wouldn't look there, um, and yet that's where God chose to go. And um, of course, it has a lot of significance uh, in terms of the covenant, and, and that's what we're going to get into. Uh, but you say also, the sto- as a result, uh, the story of Jesus' life in covenant with God strikingly resembles the story of Adam's life in covenant with God. Help everyone understand what that's all about.
1: Right. Um, I, I mean, we have some explicit passages in the New Testament that I keep going back to over and over, like Romans yeah. chapter 5, like yes. 1 Corinthians 15, where you can, where you know, Paul is explicit. He's in your face about this Adam-Christ parallel. Mm. But once you, once you begin to see it, um, it stands out everywhere in the Gospels. Mm. Um, so, you know, Jesus gets dr- driven out into the wilderness and experiences a temptation very much like what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish that I had had this insight when I wrote the book, mm. but Todd just pointed out on the Glory Cloud podcast a few episodes back that each time Jesus answers the devil, he's doing it from Deuteronomy. He's answering wow. him from the law. Yeah. And so there's a tie in with Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, and instead of um, giving in to the devil's temptation, um, he's willing to suffer even to the point of death, but he doesn't die in his uh, temptation. Um, angels come and minister to him. And you know, I also found it interesting that um, his, his obedience, his vindication was so sure that that uh, the Heavenly Father actually declared him um, well, well-pleasing well hmm. even before the probation began at yeah, Jesus' wow. baptism. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, amazing. Um, you say also at the bottom of 162, uh, because of his success, uh, the last Adam would be involved in something that the first Adam had only dreamed about, the arrival of the kingdom. Uh, in fact, the first thing the New Testament records Jesus saying after his temptation is, the time is fulfilled uh, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that's obviously a, you know, a real launch into Jesus' ministry, but it's just helpful because it it, it shows you where that fits, and why where, where all the emphasis on the kingdom, and wh- you know what's going on with the kingdom. Um, do you want to? I, I realize you haven't done this in the book necessarily at this point, but just for those who are listening, uh, do you want to give us a quick overview of, of of how the whole kingdom of God thing works. I'm thinking you're in just just in terms of the storyline. When does the kingdom actually come? Is it foreshadowed before then? How does, how are we
1: to process all of that? Well, that's a great question. Um, so I, we see the kingdom in type and shadow in little miniature pictures all throughout the old Testament. And Israel is probably um, the the major uh, one of those pictures, but mm. um, you know, here Jesus comes announcing it and he's, you know, he makes statements in his ministry, like the kingdom of God is among you, mm. um, you know, in your midst. And um, yet it's not something that, we can grasp onto and say, Oh, I'm, I'm holding the kingdom in my hand. Mm, mm. Uh, we won't be able to say that until, uh, he comes again and brings about the renewal of everything. Mm. Um, so we're making the, the distinction between, um, the kingdom beginning in principle, but not coming in power and glory until Jesus returns. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um,
0: are you okay with the those typical categories, the kingdom inaugurated, kingdom commencing, kingdom consummated, mm-hmm. all of that? Yeah, that's just one with you. And I noticed also in this chapter, you're using a lot of um, uh, Voss's book, um, or just his general eschatology, and I think you got a diagram in the next page. Yeah, totally you do. Um, so uh,
1: that that's helpful, right? That, that, that eschatology? Yes. Um, yeah. In fact, I... I borrowed one of Voss's diagrams on, on one of the pages here. I'm sure you won't mind. I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I hope mean, not. he stole it from the Bible
0: anyway, so whatever. <laughs> um, all right. So you say uh, the ratification of the new covenant caused a radical change in history and eschatology. It changed history because the time of waiting on God's promises was over. Uh, the last Adam uh, had come not only to correct the problem of the fall by his sacrifice of himself on the cross, but he had also come to earn the right to enter into the ultimate kingdom of God. And so it's kind of this thing that you hear over and over again, in, uh, if you read Michael Horton, I suppose, uh, that you know, as goes the king, so goes the, the kingdom, right? And that thing right. that's been set up for us, even in the understanding of the kings and the kingdom and, and just Israel, it's all starting to happen in, in reality. What is, what is this um, Vassian diagram about, though? How does that help us, and what is he saying there? So
1: one of them is um, on page one sixty four, yeah. And he he's just um, uh, I'm also saying that you know the the Jewish conception of eschatology was that um, you know we live in this age. At some point, Messiah is going to come, mm. and then it's going to be the age to come. You know the uh, the the future state that. Uh, the prophets had been talking to them about Mm. Um, and then I spent some time talking about how um, (coughs) we get a different perspective in the New Testament Mm -hmm. and we realize that it's sort of like being on a road trip where off in the distance you see a mountain and it looks like a single mountain peak but as you get closer on the road you realize there are actually two mountains with two peaks with a valley in between them and um, that's really the perspective that we get in the New Testament is that what appeared to uh, the Old Testament saints as one event is, is actually taking place in two episodes in the New Testament. Christ's first coming and his second coming. Yeah. So yeah. then we have a diagram on page 165 mm-hmm. that talks about how there's an already um, to what Christ has fulfilled and brought about and a not yet. And we're living in the tension between those. We're two-age sojourners, you might say. Exactly. (laughs) What an appropriate name
0: for this podcast. Oh, totally. Oh, man. Um, In fact, I shared the other day, I was just uh, finished. I don't know if we had this talk or not. I can't remember, but um, I just finished reading um, Jonathan Lehman's Political Church. Um, Hmm. Have you read that? Have you seen that? I haven't, no. Okay, yeah. Well, basically, he's just kind of, you know, going through the whole two kingdom thing and he was just going, yeah, you know, let's, let's go back to the two age Basian thing, you know, let's just stop calling it kingdoms and start calling it ages. And, um, mm. and he's trying to get out of the whole thing and just find a, a middle way. But I just thought if he's right, then uh, we got the right name for the podcast, you know, we didn't call ourselves <laughs> two true. kingdom sojourners, we call ourselves two age sojourners, tapping into our Vassian roots there. Um. Okay, but now in terms of the overlap and the in-breaking of the future age, I mean, you've got obviously this big thing going on on the cross where, as you say, the final judgment of the last day. I I find that a very lucid kind of, you know, there it is, right? The final judgment comes crashing in into that moment uh, as Jesus dies for us. Um, And and then, of course, the resurrection where you see this foretaste of what is to come for everyone um, as Jesus is... You know he enters into that 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 resurrection glory already. Uh, you say again, Jesus did not simply come back to life uh, as the reward for his perfect obedience. The Father bestowed upon Jesus the kind of life that is necessary for the existence in the ultimate heavenly kingdom of God. The resurrection body of Jesus matches the description of new creation bodies um, in Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two. So that's awesome. You know that's that that is a that's exactly right you have to understand what's going on there right in terms of eschatology that's why that that
1: tension begins yes exactly and um, I don't want to skip an insight that I'm always excited about which is that for the first time in history at his resurrection um, well at his ascension the, Mm. the first human being ever has entered into heaven yeah well Know, amazing.
0: <laughs> and, and, that, and, and, you know, Klein's thing helps there so much as well because, you know, I don't, I don't know where it was that he talked about it, but I remember the lights going on in my brain as he was talking about that, like, sort of another dimension thing, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, and just even the going up Christ ascending and then, you know, the idea of ascending, you know, now we think about that and we're thinking, um... You know where where did he go exactly? You know what I mean. We've been pretty high, and uh, we we've been to space, and you know what, did he just keep going? No, that's not what happened. But we realized, I mean, just the going upwards was in. It was the symbolic sort of understanding of the of the heavenly realm that was being communicated. But Christ is in the other uh, i don't want to say another dimension it sounds too sci-fi but you know what i mean and uh and he, he is there which is the point it just helps you know that there is a real um you know jesus is already there which i I always struggled with i was like well where is he exactly if he's mm-hmm. if he's um you know if he has a real body you know uh is this a place in the universe but it's it's just a yeah you have to uh you have to skip to a parallel dimension there we go i said it
1: <laughs> well, I mean, Klein himself in God, Heaven, and Armageddon says that that's basically the best word we have in English to, yeah. to describe
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, dimension. There we go. Don't throw, throw away the, the old sci-fi movies. There's something there. Um, so it's almost <laughs> like Jesus ascended in a portal <laughs> to another dimension. It's a pretty cool <laughs> idea. Um, but it does just make sense. It's just, I don't know what it is. It just has this reality to it, you know, and then, um it takes it out of the realm of myth almost, you know, and it and it just puts it into this realm of, oh, wow, that's a whole thing I hadn't considered could be the case. And yeah, like you just said, I mean, Jesus is, is the first man there. Uh, and we'll go there at some point. Um, yes. So, Amen. Um, all right. So, in terms of um, the new covenant, you get onto uh, just some some. Uh, I think this is the place where you, yeah, Jeremiah. You start talking about Jeremiah and how he uh, foresaw the glimpses of what Christ was w- would at least bring in in terms of a kind of inaugurated and commencing form. Uh, obviously, not yet fully consummated. But w- what is uh, what is helpful to see about what Jeremiah is saying there?
1: So, um, there are ways in which the new covenant is, um, like the covenants that have come before, but there's also some important ways in which it is unlike the covenants that have come before. And one of the things that Jeremiah points out is that unlike the covenant with Israel, the new covenant cannot be broken. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm with Klein. I see that because the principle involved is grace. And so God is the one who is swearing the oath here. Whereas mm-hmm. in the covenant at Sinai, Israel had to swear the oath, which is exactly why it was breakable. Right. Um, you had fallen human beings that were promising to to keep the covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but then we also have... Um, uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, I will uh, give my law in their midst upon their hearts. I will inscribe it and I will be God to them. They will be my people Mm -hmm. Uh, and they shall not any longer teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, because all of them will know the Lord from the least to the greatest. Mm -hmm. For I will forgive their iniquities and their sins. I will remember no more. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're probably um, very, uh, very aware of that very last line about, our iniquities and our sins um, being forgiven. Um, But Klein wanted to say that it wouldn't be until Christ returned that we would see uh, the part that preceded that about not teaching any longer. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you see things differently. No, Um, no, I
0: think I agree with everything that you're saying in the chapter, at least. I mean, obviously I realize it gets worked out in different ways in terms of implications um in i don't know just just how we process what the church looks like and subjects of baptism and all that but uh, yeah i mean i agree like you've got this you have to uh, you know you can't collapse the whole thing into into um just one coming of the kingdom there is this inauguration commencement um and and final consummation that's obviously being seen there by jeremiah i suppose the interesting thing is that you you foretaste it right they're already not yet what we were just talking about there is, exactly. um, you know, although it's 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 helpful to categorize it that way, uh, we also, what makes it even more complicated sometimes is that, or even more glorious, maybe is a better way to put it, is that even though, you know, that whole, that last time hasn't come, uh, w- w- there are moments where we, even now we foretaste that, you know, uh, mm. a- as mm-hmm. those who have come together as a uh, a church, and um, ex- you know, maybe it's just those existential moments where you, you know, uh, the regenerate heart is is really uh, understanding, at large part, what that will feel like. But of course, uh, it's beyond their wildest imaginations, and uh, you know, that no one will teach each other and say, "No, the Lord." I mean, that's amazing. You swing into the um, mono-covenantal polemic, you know, you start just, mm-hmm. just beating down on. And poor old Norman Shepherd <laughs> doesn't even know what was coming. Uh, and uh, tell us about that. Like, I mean, obviously, this is a big thing, right? Mono-covenantalists miss all of this um, as they consider the new covenant and its newness. Right. Um,
1: because the way Shepard talks, at least in his book, uh, The Call of Grace, mm-hmm. is that the new covenant is um, new covenant. Kind of in the way uh, today is new compared to yesterday. Um, I say that realizing that it's not completely fair to what he says, because he does have some eschatological awareness in what he talks about. But in terms of the principle governing the covenant, Mm. um, it's just the next one in the series of covenants. Right. You know, and this one is based on promise and obligation, just like the Mosaic Covenant was based on prob- promise and obligation mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Norman Shepard. Yes. So, yeah, I do. I do come out swinging against that. Yeah, totally. And, and... Uh... Yeah, it 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 is
0: just it's a total, as you say, it threatens the gospel. It's just it's not the gospel ultimately. It's terrible, and so yeah, to the degree that that I mean, it is just uh, you mentioned mono-covenantalism, but I, as you read, you realize it's relevant just on any. It's 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 certainly even for someone who doesn't even really experience any of this, you know, in terms of reformed circles back and forth. I mean, you've got this pervasive, um, you know, anti-right uh, kind of stuff. Um, and new perspective on Paul stuff that just is in every part of the church, it feels like. And uh, it has its relevance there, even if you're just uh, considering all this for the first time. I mean, what we're saying here, what you're saying in the book is essentially... That, you know, it, there is something about the new covenant that means that what N.T. Wright's saying just cannot be true. And um, that for federal vision as well and for mono-covenantalists, And whoever wants to mesh law and gospel together, I suppose, are always going to end up with this problem. Because the new covenant is this, um, it's the covenant of grace in its purest form. It's just, um, it, 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 you know, as you, as you point out again and again in the chapter, I mean, this is God swearing the oath and taking the curse and
1: just doing it all. Right, and so unlike the Abrahamic covenant, which you know, we're, you and I and Klein are all saying was also uh, based on the principle of grace. Yes, it was also promise, where everything for Abraham and his descendants was completely forward-looking. Having to say, I, I don't completely understand what God is talking about, but mm-hmm. I believe, I believe Him. Yes. Um. Now we have God Himself taking human nature to himself and accomplishing it so now now we're looking at god in the flesh saying <coughs> okay this is exactly what god was promising to abraham but yeah. now we have it yeah wow um, and so in t-
0: on that point you mentioned a little bit about um animal sacrifices not actually removing sin and so forth um right. we are saying everyone's looking the same cross everyone's being saved in the same way you know contra dispensationalism or whatever um so we're not wanting to See any discontinuity in that sense, and you know, uh, insofar as that overlaps with what mono-covenantalists are saying, fine, that's fine. But um, in terms of uh, you know, what did that that actually, if Jesus only came um, to fulfill all of this uh, down the track, um, I don't know if you have ever read that um, article, uh, Chris, about that Lee Eines wrote about Leviticus. Have you ever read that? Um, or, yeah, but it's been a while. I'll just take the opportunity now to recommend it in supplement to what you're saying. here in terms of just goes I, I think it's all uh, from what I understood straight out of klein um mm-hmm. basically using the idea of 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 um you know intrusion um, and just bringing this the sacramental understanding to bear on, on in terms of what what the Israelites as they looked forward to the coming of Christ um, what it would mean for them for to, to go through the, the the process of you know offering sacrifices and so forth and and how really this, this, this grace that Christ earned is, is, is sort of, again, you know, uh, it's, it's retroactively applied. It's intruding backwards. Uh, it's, it's, um, being applied through the means of this, this, um, the sacrament, or this, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Just kind of uh, type, shadow, I suppose, as they believed and mm-hmm. hoped in the same promises we do. Uh, th- that was just a really helpful paper to just go into some crazy detail on this, and uh, I think it would probably be especially helpful for those who are um, perhaps coming into it from New Covenant theology, or um, uh, mm. you know, anyone that would try and just, or anyone that would struggle with seeing a covenant of grace prior to to the coming of Christ. Um, so let me put that out there in case anyone wants to check it out. Anything else you want to say about that though, in terms of, um, uh, as they looked forward?
1: No, uh, I, I, mean, I think we've, um, we've hit the important points. I'm glad you brought up, uh, Lee's paper. Lee is always, uh, amazingly helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Very insightful.
0: Very, especially a subject, uh, a book like Leviticus, you know, um, it's just often helpful to get a guide on what's happening over there. I've just preached through it and used that paper, so that's why it's fresh on uh-huh. um, uh, on my mind. But um, uh, just in terms of coming back to uh, the flow of thought in the chapter, um, you you—it's almost like a big roundup, uh, just bringing in all these themes. It's, that's why I like it so much. It's just kind of even if you're just touching on them, you're basically saying, all right, here's the end of the story. Uh, One of the cool parts was uh, when you said, because of what Jesus has done, God's covenant has been enlarged to include all who trust in Christ, not only believing Jews. uh, The tent of God's covenant has been opened wide so that not only the Shemites, the believing Jews, but also the Japhethites, uh, believing Gentiles may dwell there too. And then you're quoting from Genesis 9. And
1: what is that all about? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm trying to incorporate one of Klein's uh, insights that um, what's going on with Noah's children um, is actually telling us about yeah. um, how God will break down the the division. That at that point in history, we don't even know about the division between Jew and Gentile, yes. but um, it's coming, right. and that um, the the line of Shem and the line of Japheth will live together in this tent of. Um, of gods yes um, and uh, here we here we have it in Christ himself yeah uh,
0: yeah I mean I like it because it just it, it, you know we're at the new covenant we're at the finale but you really I think what the chapter does especially toward the end is just it reminds you I, over and over again really this is the thing anticipated in all of those even seemingly obscure moments uh, in, in the story and lead up and even from Genesis. And of course, we know that. But just even just the idea of the Japhethites and the Shemites, and it's all already there looking forward and now fulfilled in, in what Jesus has done. And the rest of the paragraph there just keeps on going. You know, you just, you're roping in and all, the, all these ideas <laughs> again and again, just to show this great finale that we have in, in Christ and what, what we now look back on as christians which i thought was really powerful um and you know all the way to the conclusion i suppose which is really fitting um and then you say uh, at the first paragraph in the conclusion the new covenant is about what christ has done for us uh, he has done nothing less than completely accomplish what the first adam failed to do the last adam adam had uh, not only passed um, his covenantal probation but he has earned the right to dwell in the heavenly kingdom of god He is the first human being, and there's that thing that you said earlier, uh, to enter into that ultimate kingdom. Uh, In that sense, he is the first fruits of the new humanity, the new creation people of God. So Mm. just a glorious sort of roundup there. Um, I think um, probably, as you say, this is, you know, as you consider the two Adam thing um, and the federal idea, uh, this is the clearest evidence for covenant theology. Uh, Either Adam or Christ is your federal Covenant representative. I think that's a really good insight. What do you What do you mean by that? Why do you want to uh, drive that point? Well, I mean, it's really
1: how um, the Bible needs to be read um, from beginning to end in order for it to make any sense. Right. Totally. Um,
0: <laughs> There's that, and also I think it's almost what I like about that point is that it it sort of takes it right out of the whole. Hey, I need to be a reform guru or, or kind of. Have come up in a reform background to even get my head around some of this. Mm. It's really not how it works, you know. If you just read your Bible, um, you, the idea of there being a representative for two for for humanity in Adam and in Christ is just a very clear concept, you know. And that is federal theology. That is covenant theology. I mean, sure, the details are worked out, <laughs> and you know, you get various variants of it, but I mean, that that's the essence of it, right there, right. And that's. Um, I mean, it's it'll be hard to affirm that for all that it's worth, and not end up in covenantal theology, or covenant theology. Yeah, Um, and then you know, not to mention the way that that then works itself out in justification, as you point out. um, You know, again, you're not really into some niche, obscure category there. I mean, this is the gospel. And uh, you've just got to find a way to figure that out in terms of seeing how how the Bible needs to be read, as you pointed out earlier. Um, all right, then we got a submarine with another baby that had a baby, and uh, and the graph, <laughs> the graph, the graph's just going crazy, man. Help us through. What, what's happening with this graph? I mean, this is the finale. This is the final Meredith Klein graph. This is the glory cloud right. chalk dust. It's in the air. Um, <laughs>
1: it's over. You have everything you need now. Go forth and conquer. Are you talking about the the first one on page one seventy seven? Yes. Okay, so I love this one. Um, this is what we were discussing earlier in terms of final judgment happening in two episodes. And mm-hmm. so we have the Christ, uh, the sorry, the cross, mm-hmm. where the first episode of final judgment happens, and it happens for us on our behalf uh, mm-hmm. as believers. And then we have the second episode um, at the the last day when Christ returns, and that's final judgment for unbelievers. I, it's hard to say this in this uh, submarine, but um, that second episode is going to be, for us, like getting off of the arc. Yeah, that's great. Um, you could draw a little picture of an
0: arc, eh? Yeah, I could. <laughs> you just put a little, little mental cue.
1: I mean, the whole thing kind of looks like an arc in a weird way. Yeah, <laughs> you're right.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: I mean, I've been thinking about this point a lot lately just because uh, we had some pushback um, to what we were saying on the Glory Cloud podcast about right. this. Yeah. Um, and so I want to I want to say to listeners that um, if you are trusting Christ for your salvation, you have already um, survived God's wrath and his judgment at the cross. Yes. Um. So uh, take comfort in that. Yeah. Um, we've got another um, another couple of diagrams right. on the next page, 178. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus uh, ascends after his death on the cross. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's underscoring the point that we've already talked about, about mm-hmm. him being the first human being to enter into heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that means that... Um, Everything between Christ's ascension into heaven and his return at the end of history is uh, this church age yeah. where we live um, with, uh, I mean, we've actually got three different lines going on here for, mm-hmm. for Christians. We've got the invisible heavenly realm that we do participate in because we're united to Christ who is in heaven. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're involved in the covenant of grace. Which um, really is the the realm of the church, and we've also got a foot in the realm of common grace right. as well. Right, totally. There's the two age
0: thing again. Yep, we're just so Okay, cool. <laughs> Um, sweet alright well that kind of wraps it up I mean there we go so if you have if we've hopefully um, made you curious as to what those diagrams are about they look like submarines and arcs and they have little <laughs> pointy things and they look like missiles and uh, they, they came out of the mind of Meredith Klein and uh, Chris has revamped them here for print uh, so man you have to go and check this out now I mean there's only so much you can reconstruct in your mind in terms of what we've described <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you need to buy the book you need to check it out have a look it's just a great overview of of covenant theology, biblical theology, the doctrine of justification, um, and uh, and then you've got
1: these append uh, one appendix one yeah the Westminster two I think we've got a couple oh, sorry, uh, the yeah. first one is to demonstrate that what we're saying is not just reformed it is Protestant right uh, okay, so okay, good. every Protestant um, uh, tradition that that put a confession of faith together has basically come out uh, for a law gospel distinction for justification by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Not everybody, like the Lutherans, for example, don't have uh, a covenant, a system of covenant theology, right. um, but they would certainly be on board with us about the law gospel distinction and justification. Um, right. And then... Um, I think there is a second. Oh, there, yeah, there's another appendix glossary with some yeah. recommended reading. Oh, glossary as well. Yeah. Have
0: you got a recommend? Oh, there we go. Recommended reading. Wow, I hadn't seen that before. Great. Um, cool. That's very helpful, actually. The glossary and that. Um, fantastic. So if you did want to, on that point, I was going to ask you. Um, you know, if people have finished reading this book now, hopefully they've got a good overview. It's been accessible. They've been tracking with us. They've enjoyed it. Where to next? You know, just so they don't have to. Uh, Spend a uh, million dollars buying all these books and um, freak out. How, wh- what's the best thing to go to next? Do you think? I mean, do you think it's good to jump straight into Klein, or is there another thing to um,
1: uh, perhaps go through before then? Boy, that's a that's a good question. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess if if the book if the Tale of Two Atoms makes sense and you've tracked with it and you feel like you've digested it, then you probably are ready to start with some of Klein, probably either uh, the structure of biblical authority or um, by oath consigned, either one of those two. Yeah,
0: true. You know, another one that just comes to mind, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Um, Jian, Jian, Jian. Oh, yeah. uh, How do you pronounce that name?
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't have it right in front of me. Um, I think it's jiang <laughs> jiang i think you're right all right cool
0: anyways jiang jiang he's like this really jedi dude that's written, he's written a whole <laughs> bunch of like really awesome books but he wrote a biblical theology have you seen that
1: i have yeah. i don't own it but i've seen it yeah
0: right i've i've uh, i've got it i've checked it out um i haven't read the whole thing but from what i've read it's just very lucid and uh, you know it it in some senses, what he's done really well is that he hasn't brought too many things into, you know, he hasn't made it too complicated. Like you can tell there are a million things he could have brought in to kind of uh, to, at, the, at the point of redemptive history that he was working through. But he kind of he did a great job of just keeping it, you know, uh, well, just just very lucid and moving forward for someone that perhaps is just uh, delving into these things. So uh, he wrote a book called Biblical Theology. And I pretty much if you Google Jiang, that's J-E-O-N-G. And then you just throw Koo in there as well, uh, K-double-R, because that's like his middle name or first name, I don't know. Um, and uh, Biblical Theology, you'll definitely hit that book. It's like 10 bucks on Kindle. Again, it's just really helpful. And maybe, you know, if you just want another run through biblical history, it's just good. It's obviously he's he's just planning through and through. Um, and so you're going to get more of that and just another run through. Um, and then Structure of Biblical Authority, would you really recommend that next?
1: Well, you know, I would have... Um recommended by oath consigned for a very long time but then as lee and i were going through the structure of biblical authority he said that he thought in his opinion that that would be one place that he would recommend that people start and i i can kind of see the wisdom in that so that's why i say either one yeah well what would be some of the wisdom of that i'm just trying to because for me that was quite a scary book
0: I mean, oh, really? I, I, yeah, I sort of—I I got through uh, God, Heaven, and Armageddon much easier than that one. But, but I can see how structurally or information-wise, it'd be good to have that first—the structural uh, structure of biblical authority. You know, you just get more of clients as you're working through. But I don't know. Just in terms of, it was just so confusing the whole thing. I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe I read it too soon. Maybe maybe I'm prejudicing the whole process with my experience. But yeah, what <laughs> what what, what, uh, what would be some of the wisdom there in terms of going to that book
1: first? well he the work that he does uh with the relationship between canon and covenant um mm. i think is helpful for understanding what the bible is and why it's put together the way that it is and why it's the new testament that governs us as the right. church okay, uh, i think saying. that's a really helpful point yeah
0: um, right so yeah for, for getting that this is what makes client tick thing uh mm-hmm. probably yeah that would be the one maybe for someone who's just wanting to get to the actual content though And just wanting to see how the Bible kind of all connects together. Um, You know, they might get a little bored with that or just a little bit like, what what are we even talking about here? You know, where's the juice? Where's the good stuff? You know, um, it's almost like you want, I don't know. So for me, Kingdom Prologue was, it's just terrifying. It's massive. You know, it's awesome. But it's also terrifying where God, Heaven and Armageddon was just kind of there. It's nice size. Sure, they're little. They're parts where you get lost, and but you you feel like you can press on through, and there's a hope to
1: make it towards, towards the end. So that's yeah. a good point. And so, <coughs> yeah, I think I think we could say that God, Heaven, and Harmageddon would be another good um, place to start after the Tale of Two Adams. Um, Klein said that he wrote it for a popular audience. You still find him using, you know, three hyphenated words together, mm. in that book. Um, but um, maybe I could use this as an opportunity to plug the Glory Cloud podcast yes, and just say that totally. we, we've been working <laughs> through each of Klein's books on there. So yes, no matter which book you want to read through, you can read you through with us. Yes. Um, just go back and find, you know, the episodes where we go through that book. And Yeah, no, you have to do but, that for sure. If you're going to read it through, you have to track along
0: with uh, Todd and Chris. Uh, and if you start with, God, you guys are nearly done with God, Heaven and Armageddon. Or where are you know.
1: I think we're a little past the halfway point now. Okay, right, cool.
0: Yeah, so uh, there we go. There's definitely enough to to get you started there on that one. Um, Awesome. You know, I was just thinking you should rip, um, there's this uh, section in in, uh, Frames, the Escondido Theology, where he does that. Uh, He's got like three columns of words that he like ripped out of Kingdom Prologue. Um, And then, you know, it's like a little game that you play. where you you basically <laughs> choose you know you can make your own Kleinian word you know someone needs to make an app with that little thing and uh <laughs> that'd be so much fun I mean it is quite amazing how it works he says all you have to do is just like randomly select you know three words from each one from each column and uh, you got this brilliant Kleinian word I'm like oh boy you need that in your book that would be appendix number four that'd be brilliant <laughs> you know play the Kleinian for game for the third edition yeah. yeah totally well if you want to make some money that might be the that might be the app. You know, (laughs) to rule all apps, the Kleinian game. There we go. In fact, I know some people, Jerry. If you're listening, we need to get this going. Um, (laughs) All right, cool. Um, Well, that's it. Thank you, Chris.
1: Really appreciate you
0: um, walking through that with us. And um,
1: the pleasure is all mine. Um, I really appreciate you being willing to um, talk about the tale of two atoms and to help help promote it. Um, I mean, I I made the PDF freely available on the internet. Uh, so that people could benefit from it. And if you like it, you can buy it. Um, but I just, I hope that it um, focuses your your eyes on Christ. And yeah. if, it, if it does that, then I'm satisfied. Amen. Amen. Well, it's definitely done that for us, but appreciate it.
0: Um, all right, cool. Let's drop it there. That's uh, a good place to, to leave things. And we will... Um, well, well, what are we going to do next that's a good question well we've actually got a lot of cool stuff there was that one thing where where, um, frame is uh, or at least Klein is heading on frame and just writing that article to him I want to go through that that looks super cool Klein on perspectivalism Ooh. Mm. You, know, you know it's going to be good <laughs> right and um, and then uh, someone mentioned we need to do the household authority principle we need to do that as well was there a particular okay. uh, essay or something that we could go to for that or not really it, the only material I can think of really is in Bioeth Consigned. Okay, cool. Well, we could just do that, we'll figure out how to, how to play that one, and then we'll just go from there. You know, wing it like we normally do. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Chris.
1: Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike.